Hello, this is Jacques Hebert, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches, where we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. Hey, Jacques. Hey, Simone. How are you? This is Simone Terrio Malaz from Restore Retreat. I'm doing good. How was your week? It was good. I mean, it's been busy. You know, I know uh, last Friday, we, you and I went on our field trip, Fushan Friday, down uh, in Port Fushan with Joni Tuck, uh, and we saw... Uh, Elmer's Island. We had some reporters with us as well. It was, we were seeing the largest restoration project completed to date. I had not been down there since its uh, final completion, and uh, I've been down there dozens and dozens of times. And Jacques, it was so beautiful. I, it was so nice to see it at its final um, at its final place. And I look forward to to so many more projects like that on the ground. So we were in Baton Rouge yesterday too. Yeah, we had Coastal Day at the legislature. Um, Scott Kirkpatrick, who was our guest last week with Coast Builders Coalition, helped put that on. And there are a lot of groups, you know, industry groups as well as NGOs there um, showcasing support for coastal restoration and the 2017 Coastal Master Plan. Uh, the governor spoke. Um, Chairman Johnny Bradbury spoke. Um, overall, it was a really wonderful day. Yeah, it was a great day to kind of see uh, all of us come together for Coastal to talk about the importance of the master plan, talk about the importance of the annual plan, but also just talk about the sense of urgency that still surrounds our issues here. So who are you talking to today? Well, today uh, we've got a little bit of a hodgepodge show, but the two very important guests and topics that we've been wanting to cover. So first, I'm speaking with Natalie Perrinen, who is a uh, Director of Science Policy with Environmental Defense Fund, and Natalie is a wealth of knowledge or has a wealth of knowledge on a lot of different topics. But we're talking about sediment diversion operations today, which is a hugely important topic and a great follow-up to an earlier show we had where when we had um, Rudy Simino and uh, Brad Barth on to t- discuss diversions. Yeah, and uh, I'm talking to Jimmy Frederick with uh, the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana. If you remember, we cut Jimmy off one day. We wanted to be sure to have him back on the show to talk about his work at the Coalition, talk about some of the great things they're doing. They have this really neat oyster recycling program involving involving some of the restaurants here in New Orleans. So we want to talk to him a little bit about that program and some of their work. So I guess this, this is where we leave each other. Yes, I will get started with Natalie and I'll see you at the end of the show. Great. Bye, Jacques. All right. So joining us now, we have Natalie Perrinen, Director of Science Policy with Environmental Defense Fund. Natalie, how are you? I'm great, Jacques. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so I know we're going to get into the topic of sediment diversion operations today. But first, I wanted to ask, I know back in 2012, you were actually with the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority working on the master plan. So what is it like to be on this side uh, for the 2017 master plan? I have to say, I, I miss working on the guts of the master plan and working alongside the people at CPRA. They're they're passionate. They're dedicated. Um, they spend hours and hours of outside of regular work hours putting together this master plan, and they have such a challenge to take such an enormous issue and, and develop a plan for our future. And um, so I, I miss working alongside those people that um, just show so much passion and dedication. Yeah, but you're not you're not too far from it. I mean, you know, with uh, your work through Environmental Defense Fund and Restore the Mississippi River Delta, uh, you and your team do a lot to kind of analyze the projects as well as um, inform the conversation around the master plan. So tell us a little bit about um, your role at Environmental Defense Fund and uh, kind of what you do now. Uh, a lot of what I work on is helping to support the science of coastal restoration and, and moving us forward. Um, we all need to work together to ensure that we can get coastal restoration implemented and on the ground 
And there's still a lot of uh, science questions that need to be answered to ensure that we have the sustainable future that we all want. So a lot of my work revolves around answering some of those tough science questions. Yeah. And speaking of tough science questions, um, one that is hugely important is around how a sediment diversion will be operated. So we've talked about sediment diversions in the past on, on this show, how crucial they are to um, securing a future for our region, you know, and utilizing the power and resources of the Mississippi River. Um, but, you know, a lot of thought hadn't been put into, at least publicly, um, how a sediment diversion will be operated once constructed. And that's some, an effort that you led up recently with a group of scientists. So tell us a little bit about that and why um, you convene the Sediment Diversion Expert Working Group. Sure. So as you've covered in your previous um, Delta Dispatches, we have obviously know the importance of sediment diversions to restoring our coast and building sustainability um, but once you operate a sediment diversion, the, the ecosystem and the communities that rely on that ecosystem will have to go through changes. And some of those changes could happen fairly rapidly. And so there's a lot of legitimate concerns within stakeholder groups about how the changes would occur, where they would occur. Um, and there, it all depends on operations. So uh, various operations will have various levels of impact and change that would occur within the environment. So what we wanted to do was kind of look across all of the different spectrums of the environment. So we brought together 12 core members and 42 additional experts over an eight-month process uh, to kind of evaluate the changes that we could anticipate um, in the environment based on various operation strategies. And we looked from everything from how water moves around the system to how sediment and land building would occur to what that would mean to fish and wildlife species, um, as well as looking at the social impacts and the economic impacts of that and the legal and policy ramifications of, of a sediment diversion. And so we had a very diverse group of experts, all with great Louisiana backgrounds, decades and decades of research in Louisiana coastal area. Um, and we went through this process to try and uh, provide some recommendations to the state as they start to develop their operation strategy. Yeah, and I know that process was, you know, incredibly exhaustive and you all met, you know, for months on end and really dug into a lot of the science that has been published and even some that hasn't, you know, fully been released. And in terms of what your recommendations were, what were some of the key findings? Um, can you give us kind of the high level of, of what that report, um, you know, found and what, what you recommended? Sure. So one of the um, initial things that we talked about in all our meetings, thinking about sediment and water movement and, and fish and wildlife is how do you initially operate a diversion? So you can build the structure into the levee and, and, um, have a capacity of 75,000 cubic feet per second, um, which is a, which is a substantial amount of water moving through the system. Um, the system is not adapted to that. And so you can't operate on day one at full capacity. So a lot of what we talked about initially was how do we start operating this in years zero to five? Um, and it's a gradual opening of this so that you can allow the system to develop a channel network that would move the water through the system, um, move the sediment around the wetlands, um, make sure that water levels weren't getting too high because 
uh, increased water levels can cause wetland loss and obviously can um, increase flood risk to adjacent communities. Um, it's also important for the vegetation and for the fish and wildlife that they're not shocked into a changing system. Our, the, de- the degradation of Louisiana's coast has happened gradually over 100 years. Um, we're looking to change the system fairly rapidly um, back to a healthy system. But we do have to take into account that vegetation is established, fish and wildlife species are established in certain areas, and we want to gradually change that dynamic and move them around and allow them to um, self-organize around some new conditions out in, in the wetlands. Right. And I know there were a, a lot of, um, you know, some key findings about when you open the diversion, um, what time of year, when you can get the most sediment. Now, I really want to get into that um, in the next uh, segment. Um, but for now, if folks want to actually read the recommendations and find the report, they can go online to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash diversion ops report and learn more. Um, we're here with Natalie Perrinen, Director of Science Policy with Environmental Defense Fund, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. This is Jacques Hebert, and I'm here with Natalie Perrinen, Director of Science Policy for Environmental Defense Fund. So Natalie, as you know, uh, Simone and I like to keep it fun uh, in addition to having uh, you know serious conversations. So in that vein, I'd like to ask you a question. What is your favorite karaoke song? 
<laughs> wow, um, that is a tough one. I can't uh, wait to hear this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, so you know, I believe we did karaoke together one night. Do you remember what I sang? That's right. It's a trick. Were y'all question. a duet? Were y'all a duet? <laughs> Were y'all Dolly and I, Kenny? I, like, <laughs> I was. I was the backup. Let's say I was the backup dancer, uh, <laughs> and the song was "Proud Mary." So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well good that can be your answer natalie <laughs> that is definitely my answer that's a great song all right well speaking of rolling on the river um we want to get back into the topic at hand which is sediment diversion operations so before the break natalie you were talking about um this really impressive uh undertaking that you led around bringing some of the leading coastal scientists together over the course of nine months to answer the question, how do you operate a sediment diversion to maximize land building while considering other effects to the ecosystem? We were talking about some of the findings, but in terms of real life applications, what what, what does that look like? What are some of the recommendations and uh, some of the main findings that, you know, someone like CPRA might take when they go to operate one of these diversions? Yeah, one of the interesting things that uh, came out as we were going through this process was the importance um and the ability to operate in the winter um, and the advantages that has. So we have typically thought of operating a diversion um, in the spring, during the spring flood. But there's actually uh, a lot of floods uh, and a lot of peaks in the river that happen during the winter. These have a lot of advantages. So some of the advantages it has is that the first peak uh, in the winter will carry the greatest concentration of sediment. Um, and so you can actually get more sediment to the amount of water that you're discharging from the structure. In addition, there's cold fronts that happen during uh, the winter. And what those cold fronts will do is take sediment that may, maybe the sediment uh, is deposited on open water bottoms or like on a bay bottom. Um, but the cold fronts will take that sediment, lift it back up into the water column and deposit it onto the marsh surface. So you get not only the direct input of sediment onto the marsh surface from the diversion, but this kind of resuspension and movement of sediment around and, and back up onto the marsh surface. So, um, but then one of the other key things is that fish and wildlife species are in a more dormant state as well as vegetation during the winter months, and they can handle lower salinities when the water's colder. And so as you put fresh water into the system, these fish and wildlife species, uh, you can reduce or eliminate these impacts that they may have um, from the diversion um, during those months. And so by thinking about winter operations, we were really able to see that there's a real advantage to taking as much of the operations in the winter as possible and then maintaining your spring operations in your spring and summer operations um, when the river is really high, when the river is uh, peaking at its at its highest and carrying the most total amount of sediment. And we can take advantage of that, but we could do it over shorter time frames so that you have less impact on the vegetation. Um, you have less concerns about water levels and flood risk, and you have less concerns about the effects that you may have on various fish and wildlife species. So by looking at these timing issues, we can really start to develop an operation strategy that maximizes as much as possible the amount of land we can build out there and the amount of wetlands that we can sustain um, that are already existing, while also trying to balance that these fish and wildlife species need 
um, some estuarine recovery. They need to be in some sort of salinity during parts of their life cycle um, to maintain themselves within the estuary. Right. And I think, I mean, that was a really key finding because there was sort of a misconception among some in the public um, that, you know, these diversions would just be um, operated and opened year round. Uh, and when in fact, you know, that may not be the most strategic way to, to build and maintain land and it could have detrimental effects um, to, you know, the ecosystem. So I want to talk a little bit. I know you did um, a lot of outreach um, around these recommendations, both to various state and federal agencies, as well as, you know, community members and stakeholder groups like fisheries groups. So what were some of the reactions that you received? Um, I guess let's start with, you know, some of the agencies, but I also really want to hear about some of the um, fishing groups and what their reactions were. I think across the board, whether we're talking about agencies, our, our stakeholder groups, our parish governments and, and others, I think uh, across the board, people have been ready to have this conversation and to talk about the, the intricacies of these operations and, and how they would occur. And so it was a very positive feedback. I think that prior to this effort, a lot of our operations were really at a high level planning and so they were they were very standardized uh and simplified and kind of like you said operating at, at very large uh for for a very long time in the in the calendar year um when in reality i mean our motto that we we started off with with every meeting was uh operations for modeling is not operations in the real world and so i think from a stakeholder standpoint, from an agency standpoint, people were ready to start talking about how would this actually work in the real world? How would we actually balance all of these different parts of the ecosystem and the community that relies on the ecosystem and, and lives off the ecosystem? How would we start to balance all of this? And so I think everybody was really open to it. They may not agree with every single recommendation we made, um, but they were very open to that this is the discussion that they wanted to have. And this is the discussion that they want to see continue uh, with the state as they advance diversions to implementation. Right. And I know, I mean, a huge part of uh, the report is not just, you know, how do you operate a diversion, but also how do you communicate around operations? And obviously that has um, significant impact and interest to local communities, be, there, be they f fishing communities or just, you know, er folks that live in the area. Um, who are, have an interest in those operations. So can you talk a little bit about some of the recommendations um, that the report provided uh, regarding communications and community engagement? Sure. So I think one of the keys that came out of the, the working group was really we continually talked about expectation management. And that's really what it is, is, is allowing stakeholders to understand what's coming and and if they have clear expectations of what the changes will be what the benefits will be uh how the ecosystem will function in the future and those things are transparent and communicated clearly they have that clear expectation then they can adjust whether it's their livelihood or where they like to just go fish on the weekend they can adjust to that. Um, I think the issue comes in a lot when there's not clear uh, communication of what to expect when a project goes online. So we really talked a lot about 
having that expectation management, communicating and transparency with uh, affected parties, um, and then governing fairly and having a governance structure. Um, the operations isn't going to be the same on day one as it is on year 10, um, and it's going to change every year. The river's going to flow differently. Um, so every year it's going to be a little different. And so having some way to govern where you're taking in feedback from stakeholders, from affected parties, from um, agencies uh, that allow you to take that information in to make decisions about how to operate the diversion in the next year. So you can have these overall strategies uh, of how you think you might operate it, but every year is going to be different because the river is going to flow differently every year. The basin conditions will be different every year. Um, and so it, there is a lot of flexibility that has to be built into that. The important part is is that there's communication of what the operation strategy is being um, put in place and that there's feedback for stakeholders to give input into how the diversion is going to be operated. Right. So monitoring and communications are key. Well, Natalie, that is all the time we have for today. I hope we can have you back on soon. Um, as a reminder for folks who want to go and read more about the report for the, of the Sediment Diversion Expert Oper- Operations Working Group, you can go online, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Diversion Ops Report. Natalie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Zach. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. This is Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. I am lucky enough to have on the line with me Jimmy Frederick. Jimmy is the communications director at the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana. He leads the communication team for CRCL and joined CRCL in 2014 after a 20-year career in public relations, governmental affairs, and local and regional media. He served at the, as a public relations manager for Cox Communication, earning five national awards. Jimmy, go you for his community <laughs> affairs initiatives. He also served as the executive producer, program manager, production manager, general, does everything for Cox Communications Regional Television Channel. He's a native of Baton Rouge and earned a BA in journalism and marketing from Northwestern State University. So Jimmy had some good times in Natchitoches? I love Natchitoches. Natchitoches <laughs> was a great, great place to go to school. My husband went to Louisiana school, so uh, he got that college experience a, a little bit ahead of time. So I'm so glad that you came back on with us, Jimmy. Uh, we had you on a couple of weeks ago, um, right before your banquet. And we did right before your banquet. My banquet, yes. Your banquet you. I really as just a Coastal wanted, Stewardship Award winner. Yes, I really just wanted you to talk about that. Yes, yes. Um, my award is proudly displayed in my <laughs> office. Many people compliment. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful well. award. And thankfully, I didn't have to speak, so that made it even better. <laughs> uh, but we really, we really wanted to talk to you about some of the cool things that y'all have going on at CRCL. Um, first of all, we talked about this a little bit when you called a couple weeks ago. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about CRCL, how you started, um, offices, you know, general um, first date kind of questions. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, CRCL has been around since 1988 with the oldest, longest standing coastal restoration organization, statewide coastal restoration organization. Um, you know, and our mission is to drive bold science-based action to rebuild coastal Louisiana through outreach, restoration, and advocacy. So it's really a three-pronged approach, but, you know, CRCL was talking about coastal restoration long before we had our first master plan, long before it was really in vogue. And, uh, 
So um, it's been a, a it's in our DNA as an organization to really be a, a part of, of coastal restoration and really pushing and advocating for coastal restoration. You know, Simone, I know y'all talk a lot about sediment diversions and CRCL was actually calling for sediment diversions in our first report that we put out back in 1989. And it just shows you how long it has taken us to get to a point where we're actually possibly maybe just a, a few years away from breaking ground on that on that first big sediment diversion. So uh, it's been a long haul, and we're in it for the long haul, which is I think we all have to be. That's a great way to put it. One of the other uh, award winners for the night was Rob Gorman, and I think he, he told me once he signed the original paperwork for CRCL, but um, you yeah. had longtime advocates like Rob Gorman talking about those issues, and you're right, before it was cool, that was probably, you know, as an LCA was getting developed and, and as things were gaining steam. Um, but y'all have had some pretty exciting um, past few months, even year or so. I know that one of the issues y'all foc- focus on is a legislative platform and some policy objectives. You, um, during the gubernatorial race, y'all actually hosted the gubernatorial um, debate, right? Just on yeah. coastal issues. First of its kind. So that yeah, and that really was, a, was, an, was an interesting thing for us to do. And it's the first time we'd ever even thought about doing something like that. And, um, you know, we had all four major candidates uh, for, for governor, including, of course, John Bell Edwards, our current governor, who, who all advocated for the coast and all said that uh, sediment diversions are very important. And yesterday at Coastal Day, uh, Governor Edwards certainly reiterated that again. Um, so it's just great to see. And then we, we had our, our U.S. Senate debate, which is the first time that we really focused on the national aspect of coastal restoration for Louisiana, because, you know, Simone, I know you guys talk about it all the time, is the fact that uh, Louisiana, coastal restoration and protection is so important to us here in Louisiana, but in the final analysis, it's really, really important for the entire country. And so it was really neat to to kind of bring that that legislative aspect to the to the federal level. And um, so we're very pleased with being able to advocate and uh, be a part of that, not just behind the scenes, but also kind of out front a little bit here and there. And um, it's been an exciting time for all of us. And I think it also, you know, like you said, it goes to show that um, that coastal is a major issue here in Louisiana. It's a bipartisan issue, but it's something that um, even the the top leader here in Louisiana, um, whether it be the governor or our senators that represent us in Washington, and and um, that they they understand its uh, importance, and that they they you know they were so well educated on the on the topics that I had the opportunity opportunity to ask one of the questions during the gubernatorial debate, it, it wasn't like I thought any of them really struggled to find answers. And so that was a, a good feeling knowing that our, um, that the top candidates that want to lead our state are, are fully aware of the issues. And it just allowed us an opportunity uh, to engage them some more. So congratulations to CRCL for hosting those and, and, and setting that precedent that Coastal is something that, um, that needs to be talked about. And it, 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 is, it is a campaign issue. Absolutely, at every level. I mean, all the way from the local, you know, to the to every every election now, especially in the southern part of Louisiana. And really, it needs to be in every election, even in the northern part of Louisiana. But 
But uh, I'm kind of almost wishing we had another election coming up because I really oh, enjoy Jimmy, really? putting those on a little bit. So uh, we'll just have to wait for a few more years. Well, and I think I think the um, the further momentum goes to show that when um, when Restore the Mississippi Rivers also did some of the recent polling, lots of folks said that they would vote for their um, legislator based on whether or not they supported the master plan. So that that goes to help us in our work today. Um, but not to switch gears uh, too much. But y'all also have a really great habitat restoration program as, as one of the approaches that y'all use. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? One of the best things that y'all do are create opportunities for folks to get involved. So let's hear more about that. Absolutely. And the Habitat Restoration Program started back in, in 2000. So we've been doing it for a while. And, and it, it, it's, it certainly evolved over time. But it's an opportunity to get people who normally may not be in the marsh, and, and a lot of people do hunt and fish and things like that, but they don't really see and understand and, and, and understand that they can do something. We, we talk about these major construction projects that are going to cost millions and millions of dollars, but almost every weekend during the fall and spring and, and winter, um, you know, we're getting volunteers out into the marsh, whether it be uh, reforesting uh, a devastated coastal forest that was destroyed by Hurricane uh, uh, Katrina or Isaac or somebody that, or, or on the beach in Cameron Parish planting dune grass to make sure that the beach doesn't erode away into the Gulf of Mexico. And, and those plantings in and of themselves are important, but the more important aspect of it, I think, is, is that it shows people that they can do something really meaningful for our coast and it's not just talking about these major major construction projects and so over the course of our 16 years we've engaged 13,000 different volunteers uh, we've planted more than 3 million native plants across the coast and it's just it's just gratifying to see that people just give of themselves i mean it's not easy work sometimes uh, we're really asking people for some physical labor and we just really never have a problem bringing people or getting people to give up their time and, and be a part of it. And we've got some coming up, so we're excited. Yeah, so y'all y'all do everything from big groups um, to, to just folks who maybe want to spend some time on the weekend, like you said, getting actively involved. What, what are some of the events that y'all have coming up, Jimmy, that maybe folks can get involved with? And then uh, if you tell us where to get more information, that would be helpful. Absolutely, and uh, we have we have a couple of weekends coming up in May. It's uh, it's our freshwater bayou planting. It's over in Vermilion Parish in the middle part of the state, um, and we're going to be planting some 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 marsh grass in in the actual marsh, and it's just going to be an exciting, fun time. It's May 11th through the 13th, um, and then we have another the next week or a couple weekends down the line, May 25th through the 27th. And when we try to get all our plantings in before it gets too hot in the summer, we take a little break during the summer. So we've got two big weekends coming up, May 11th and 13th, and May 25th through the 27th. Um, it's easy to find out information. Go right to our homepage, which is crcl.org, and you can sign up. Uh, we'll take good care of you. Um, it's a little bit of a drive from New Orleans, but I promise you it's going to be worth it if you get out there and get involved. Great, Jimmy. We also, I know you have some oyster uh, shell bagging opportunities coming up. Um, when we get back from the break, we want to talk more about your oyster shell recycling program and maybe some of those opportunities coming up then. Uh, so we're going to break, but this is Delta Dispatches. 
All right. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. This is Simone Laws with Restore Retreat. I am lucky enough to be joined by Jimmy Frederick of the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about the work of the coalition, uh, about some policy and some legislative alert uh, initiatives that they have, as well as some habitat restoration. But right now, uh, we were talking about some volunteer opportunities. Some of those volunteer opportunities revolve around um, oyster shell bagging. But let's back it up, Jimmy. Why don't you talk about that program that you have uh, for oyster shell recycling, what that means to folks and, and how impactful it's been. You know, this has been something that has been a, a long time in coming, and it really has been an idea that has been uh, percolated. In fact, I think your earlier guest, Natalie Perrin, had the idea many moons ago. Um, so it's just kind of come to fruition about a year and a half, two years ago now. It started in June of 2014, and um, we, we got a, a nice grant from Shell that helped us get it off the ground, and um, we have collected more than 5 million pounds of oyster shell from restaurants around the New Orleans area. And, of course, the idea is to get it to go statewide, but some logistical problems and logistical things that we have to figure out. But it has been a wonderful, wonderful program. Uh, we say, you know, it's a delicious way to give back to Louisiana. And uh, our, our real slogan is once you once you shuck them, don't just chuck them. <laughs> and it's been uh, it's been really be neat to see sticker. everybody get involved. <laughs> that needs to be a bumper sticker. That's <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, you you said you started out. You had some support for Shell. That's kind of some of that hard work that's um, that's been going on. I mean, that's when um, you said it's it's like real you know physical labor. Sometimes we have some stats here that um, it says how will the Shell be used. It's this information right off the CRCL website. 700 tons of our recycled shell will be used to create a living shoreline. The volunteers prep and bag the shell needed, and um, contractors will deploy that shell along the eroding shoreline. So there's just some cool ways people people always think about oysters and um, and New Orleans, and so that's a very cool tie-in there. So Jimmy, what well, other? Sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. You'll have a cool counter on your website too about how many tons collected. Should we fact check that or? <laughs> it is absolutely accurate. <laughs> you were going to say something. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that you know, talking about New Orleans loving oysters, um, our oyster shell recycling program is the largest in the country. Um, the former number one was in the Chesapeake Bay area up in Maryland. They had 246 restaurants in their program. We became the largest in the country with only 12 restaurants. So think about how many oysters New Orleans is actually putting down, and it really is a staggering amount. So, Jimmy, what are some, uh, like, what restaurants would we maybe know that, that do the recycling program? Well, uh, um, Pesh, uh, Seafood Grill, the Dino Magazine, um, Bourne, um, of course, um, uh, Cooter Brown's Oyster Bar, Cooter Tracy's Brown. Old Irish a, uh, Pub, uh, Irish Channel Pub, um, uh, just several others, so a big ones, of course, um, yeah. uh, Elysian Seafood at St. Rock uh, Market and um, Redfish Grill, and yeah. I'm forgetting one, of course, big one, Drago's, yeah. uh, which is nice. So um, really a great group of restaurants, and they've really been so committed to the program because, you know, when you think about trash in new orleans you think about space and you think about how are they going to do this especially down in the french quarter everybody has made accommodations and we've been really able to to 
to do a good job of making sure that we pick up the oysters five times a week. We truck them all the way down to Burris, where they have to cure for six months because you can't just put them back in the water. It seems like it seems counterintuitive if you just throw them back in the water. Well, it, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. And then we've already deployed our first living shore ri- shoreline um, in the Biloxi Marsh in Lake Athanasio. So it's already making progress. Very cool. If you want to find out more about their oyster shell recycling program, they have a, a handy fact sheet on their website. They also have some other opportunities, like I said, about some volunteer opportunities, but also maybe ways that you can help, that you can um, sponsor the, the opportunity for the oyster shell recycling program. So um, just to wrap up our segment here a little bit, Jimmy, I know that um, just this past, um, in the past few months, y'all had a, a coastal road show, and then every other year, right? Y'all host a really important conference here in the state of Louisiana. Do you want to wrap up by talking about those different opportunities? Yeah, and the idea behind the coastal road shows was that we really wanted to bring kind of an overview, but a very local overview of coastal restoration and flood risk reduction. So we were able to go to some different areas along coastal Louisiana and the North Shore um, where, you know, that, that may not often get a state meeting or something like that. And I think it went very well. We had four of those uh, over the course of the spring. Probably going to do something a little different in the fall, but we're going to do that again. And then, like you said, our State of the Coast Conference, it'll be the fifth one coming up at the end of May in 2018. So we have a year, but it is coming up on us fast. It is the largest gathering of scientists, engineers, decision makers, and people that are interested in coastal Louisiana to come together and really talk about the science of coastal restoration. And, and I think that's something that Louisiana can be very proud of, is the fact that we are really leading the way in the science of coastal restoration, not just here in Louisiana, but around the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, widely regarded as, as the most important coastal conference here. There are just so many attendees. It's a great place to see folks that you've worked with, um, you know, for several years on coastal issues. But there's so many new and different folks from all over the country. But really, you know, folks fly in from all over the world to be to be part of that conference. And next year will be a really important year. Hopefully we'll have passed the master plan and we'll we'll really have an eye towards implementation and, and the science behind how can you implement so many large-scale projects and how can you sequence that? How can we learn from any efficiencies? And then also, you know, big things like how do we pay for it, right? So so there's no shortage of things to talk about always at conferences like that. So, all right, Jimmy, our time here is almost done. Is there anything you want to maybe tell us again, the website and how to get more information? I'm assuming y'all do the Twitter and y'all do Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah, the, the the website, great place to go, get all the information, sign up for our volunteer opportunity, sign up for our newsletter. It's crcl.org. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it's crcl1988, which is the year of our founding. So um, really easy to find us and uh, all the information. And if you have any questions, you can always give us a call at either our New Orleans office or our Baton Rouge office, all that information on the website. And we just appreciate you and Jacques very much for having us on. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. One last question um, before we go. You know, Jacques and I like to be fun. Um, So the question is, what is your favorite song to sing in the car by yourself with the windows down and the music all the way up? It's a very interesting question. And I don't know (laughs) that I can answer that I have an actual favorite. But I can tell you this, that my office mates are very upset because I sing constantly in the office and you can ask any one of them that they're trying to shut me up 
every single day. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about your baby that it's like, I'm a little teapot or something. That <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's what um, plays in my car. Usually, usually school, well, you want to be honest about it, it's usually Christmas songs because those are the ones I know the most, I know all the words to. <laughs> so I'm still singing Christmas songs and, uh, I've got my coworkers pretty upset about that. <laughs> well, thank you for your time, Jimmy. We really appreciate you being on. We hope to have you on again in the future, especially um, in, of course, before State of the Coast, but then maybe before some of those fall events that y'all have going on, too. So That would be great. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Simone. Once you shuck them, don't just chuck them, Simone. <laughs> I love it. I want the bumper sticker. I hope Jimmy trademarked that. Yeah. Maybe that's our new shirt, right? There you go. <laughs> I know. I want some uh, char-grilled oysters from Drago's. <laughs> we, maybe we could make it smell like oysters when we <laughs> sell it. <laughs> um, I was kidding about a shirt, but we have our own shirt, right? That's right. Um, we did a partnership with Dirty Coast, who's an awesome local retailer. You know, They really capture the culture and spirit of New Orleans, Louisiana, and their products. And so... Uh, we work to do um, kind of a crowdsourced design, and the design ended up being the world needs more Louisiana. So it's a beautiful uh, T-shirt. We have bags, and you can go online, MississippiRiverDelta.org, um, and the Contact Us form if you're interested. And I, you can win a free T-shirt, you too, right? You can win a T-shirt. Um, we're, we have a campaign going on right now called Our Coast, where you can tell us what the coast means to you. Share your videos, your photos, all of that, and uh, you can you know, be entered to win one of those shirts. So we have a big week coming up again. We have the master plan, which got um, pushed back a little bit, going to be heard in Senate Natural Resources next week. But um, they had some big news this week about a time for union partnership, and we hope to have them on in the next couple weeks to talk about that, too. Absolutely. Uh, so Times Picayune is going to be partnering with the New York Times on a whole series of reporting about coastal Louisiana and our land loss crisis. Um, so we're hoping to speak to Mark Schlesstein and some of the other reporters who are part of that partnership. Awesome. We're looking forward to that. Well, you have a great